Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Friday morning here in the uh, beautiful city of Tucson. It is May the 20th, 2022, 7.03, and you are uh, listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, as this is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And we have a great two hours scheduled for you today. Kind of a myriad of topics to get into. We'll kind of focus on one as a carryover from yesterday of all the things that happened that while we were on the air about uh, the backlash from Nick Saban's comments at the uh, at the, the banquet or whatever it was, the event that he was at uh, the previous night, and essentially calling out two coaches by name uh, and their programs and never saying the word cheating but certainly insinuating that they're using the NIL to get, garner recruits that they normally wouldn't be getting. So uh, the, there was um, immediate backlash. In fact, Jimbo Fisher, of course, if you were listening to yesterday's show, Jimbo Fisher decided to have an impromptu nine-and-a-half-minute-long press conference to call Nick Saban a narcissist and all kinds of other things. <laughs> and and uh, the, uh, the, the fire was lit. And uh, at that point, now it's, you know, it's become this, you know, incredible feud. I mean, those two are going to be uh, sharing a room, not not a, a hotel room or a bedroom or anything. They're going to be in the same room, essentially, um, at the uh, SEC coaches, uh, uh, the uh, SEC coaches meetings coming up in a, a week or two. Um, and then, of course, media days and all that kind of stuff that are going to be going on. So uh, this is not the end of it. Certainly, this is going to be something the media is going to continue to talk about. And I thought it would be fun. You know, as I mentioned yesterday, they have a game this year, too. They play each other on October 8th. It's pretty early in the season, uh, a game that will be a revenge game for Alabama because when they went to College Station last year, they got beat by a last-second field goal by Texas A&M. So A&M, the Aggies, going to be heading into Tuscaloosa. That is going to be a, a, a raucous and volatile crowd and situation there for uh, Jimbo Fisher and his football team. So I've put together a list of what I think are some of the best coaching rivalries and coaching feuds in sports history, just stuff that I like trying to compile a list of, of, you know, certain uh, moments or just ongoing feuds that were going on between certain coaches. So I think I have a pretty good list here and we'll go through some of that. Um, and uh, we'll have some fun with that coming up in a little bit. The uh, Stanley Cup playoffs last night, Florida. <sighs> it's never easy. Well, it, it's never easy for me with my futures bets. Like I, I you know, I, I I love to place futures. I, I, it's just one of the things that I love to do. I, I like putting you know some money on futures bets, trying to predict how a season will end in you know in you know pro sports or college sports, whatever. And I've been riding the Florida Panthers since I think I think the bet was placed October 11th. Uh, they were my preseason pick to win the cup. I just I felt like you know they had amassed some talent. They looked like a really good team at the end of the year last year, 
And it was just kind of a situation where I thought the pieces were going to come together, and they were a nice long shot. I got great odds on it and uh, was able to, you know, to get a, 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 a well, what would look to be a pretty nice payout. They had the President's Cup trophy winners this year is the best record in the NHL, and it seems that that President's Cup trophy uh, curse has reared its ugly head. As last night, they lose again late to the two-time defending champ Tampa Bay Lightning as Tampa scores the game winner with four seconds remaining, less than four seconds remaining on the clock in the third period there. Uh, the Lightning have now taken a commanding, what I call a commanding 2-0 lead because those two games were played in Sunrise, Florida. Now they're going to go 180 miles across the state to play in Tampa. So the Lightning get two home games up 2-0 with now the Florida Panthers needing to win four of the next five games in this series, which is a tall and monumental task. Uh, it's, it's, you know, for the, for the league's highest scoring team, they have not been scoring goals in this postseason. Their power play has been terrible. Uh, goaltending has actually been good. Uh, you know, I thought that, uh, that Bobrovsky has been, has been pretty darn good for them this year, uh, at least in the postseason, uh, because that was a team that would, that would often give up four or five goals a game during the regular season, thanks to their, the pace that they run and such. But the defense and the goaltending has been really good in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The problem is they can't score. And that's a huge problem for Florida, obviously. Huge problem for any team. But uh, the high-powered offense that was the league's highest-scoring team is uh, b- been completely squelched here in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, as you often see with offensive juggernauts and things like that in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It often does not translate to uh, uh, to that same type of style, of course, in the postseason. On the other side, in the uh, Western Conference semifinals last night, St. Louis got offensive in their game in Denver as they take out the Avs 4-1, and even that series at 1-1, the Blues deployed an all-forwards special teams unit uh, for their power plays, which was really impressive. Five forwards on the power play. You don't often see that. A lot of times it's four, um, and you keep one defenseman back just to kind of patrol. And, you know, if you have a, a good, skilled defenseman, obviously it helps to keep them at the point. But an all-forwards special teams unit last night led to a couple of goals for them. They gave up a power play goal but still won the game 4-1, and uh, that series is now tied 1-1 as they head back to St. Louis. So that'll be – that's uh, that's turning into a better series than I thought it would be. St. Louis has been a weird team all year. Uh, They were hard to figure out. They would often play to the level of their opponents. They're one of those teams. And you'd find them losing to Ottawa and, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, beating some of the best teams in the league as well. So <clears throat> I think that'll be an interesting one to continue to watch. If, you, if, you're, if you're just kind of like on the fence about watching Stanley Cup playoffs, I, I tell you, man, like check it out. Like tonight's games especially. Tonight's games I think are going to be phenomenal. Just based on what we've seen in the, you know, in the past from, you know, from both of these squads that are going to be playing tonight because, you know, the, the you know, what we saw – on Wednesday night, the nine to six game between uh, between Calgary and Edmonton. That's the you know the battle for Alberta up there. Of course, those fans are very passionate. And then you've got New York and Carolina, the Rangers and the uh, and the Hurricanes. That's going to be a, a fantastic game as well. So uh, a good Friday night slate on uh, on ESPN. Both those games going to be on ESPN tonight for uh, for games two in those respective series. The Celtics. 
fired back last night in Miami. They went small. They got they got Al Horford back. They got Marcus Smart back. Al Horford came back from the uh, COVID protocol and Marcus Smart back from an injury. And they hung 127 points on the Miami Heat last night and ran away with it, finishing them off 127 to 102. That series is now tied at one apiece as they shift back to Boston for games three and four. That should be a, a continuing, ongoing uh, good series. And then we'll see what happens tonight in San Francisco as uh, Luca, who did not play well in game one, the Warriors had a, a great game plan for him. They actually turned him over more times than he had made field goals in the game. Uh, certainly one of his worst playoff games ever. So we'll see what kind of adjustments that Jason Kidd makes. He's obviously very good at that, as we've seen at uh, in, in both series so far this postseason. We'll see what kind of adjustments Jason Kidd and his staff are able to make and uh, see if they can be competitive in game two, because game one they were not. And they completely lost themselves early on in that game, and uh, they lost their identity early, and, and that was the uh, the beginning of the end for them. So uh, we'll see what happens tonight again. That game uh, tonight, and uh, watch some NBA action here on a Friday as the Mavericks try to even that series or the Warriors try to take a 2-0 lead early before they shift back to games three and four in Dallas. The Arizona Wildcats yesterday in Eugene, not a good performance by T.J. Nichols. He gives up seven runs in the first three innings of the game. The Wildcats found themselves down 8-1. to one. They made a rally. They were able to chip away at that lead. The bullpen came in and was solid in the final five innings of that game. Played well, but it wasn't good enough. They, just, they, they were just too far in the hole. They ended up losing that game 8-4. to four. They had the bases loaded in the ninth with one out, uh, but then consecutive strikeouts ended the game. So Arizona looking to bounce back today as they need to even the series against the Ducks. That game is at 4 o'clock. You can find it on the Pac-12 networks on uh, Pac-12 Arizona if you want to check that out. A uh, big game for, for the Wildcats. As I mentioned, you know they're not going to get the sweep now, uh, but if they can get the 2-1 series win over a you know, a team that is chasing them in the standings that has now actually evened things up as of uh, yesterday's win, uh, it'll be important for the Wildcats to stay in that top four bracket for the upcoming Pac-12 baseball uh, Pac-12 baseball tournament that's going to be happening in Scottsdale next weekend. If you're if you're game, if you're you know if you're able, I know it's it would probably cost you know forty dollars to drive here <laughs> based on the stinking gas prices right now. Uh, but if you're uh, if you're able to, I uh, I implore you to check out the first Pac-12 baseball tournament. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be at Scottsdale Stadium. I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, doing the uh, the PA work for the uh, for the baseball tournament, so looking forward to that. Looking forward to some great baseball. Hopefully, Wildcats can uh, show well and maybe even come out with a uh, with a tournament win in the inaugural Pac-12 baseball tournament. Now, yesterday, look, there's still a lot to unpack from yesterday's feud and name calling and all these other things that were going on in. Uh, in the, the, the saga that was started now between Nick Saban, he also included Jimbo, uh, Jimbo Fisher and with, uh, with Deion Sanders in his accusations as well. Uh, Nick Saban had said that he tried to contact Jimbo, both Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders, and Jimbo, in his press conference today, said, I'm, I'm, you know, we're done. I'm never talking to him again. I'll, I'll never take his call ever again, basically. And Deion had a different kind of take on it he you know I, I you know i thought it was interesting you know Dion is is always a fun quotable and 
and and and Dion's, you know, he's he's slick with the uh, he's got the silver tongue, right? He's 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 slick with his words. Sanders had a did an interview immediately. <laughs> of course, he went uh, he went running to uh, to the interview room and was able to. Uh, or, well, I shouldn't. He was able to, but the uh, uh, former uh, reporter for ESPN, now working for Anscape, uh, Anscape I think is actually a, a like a sister or a child of of ESPN. Regardless. Uh, Jean-Jacques Taylor uh, reached out to Dion yesterday and got quite a few quotes from the primetime himself in specific regards, and we'll talk more about some of the things that were said, but uh, in regards to the phone call, Dion Sanders told Jean-Jacques Taylor, quote, we need to talk publicly, not privately, because what you said was public. That doesn't require conversation. Let's talk publicly and let everybody hear the conversation. You can't do that publicly and call privately. No, 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 no. I still love him. I admire him. I respect him. He's the magna cum laude of college football, and that's what it's going to be because he earned that. But he took a left when he should have stayed right, and I'm sure he'll get back on that course. Uh, I'm sure he'll get back on course. I ain't tripping. <laughs> now, Dion had some great quotes in this, uh, in this interview with Jean-Jacques Taylor which we will uh, we will talk about because <laughs> what did he say? Uh, he says at some point he says I don't even wear a watch, but I know what time it is. Basically saying like uh, I know what's been going on with these guys because I was one of those boosters. I was somebody who was in the weeds, essentially trying to filter kids to the different schools, and I understand what it's like, how it goes. He even talked about guys who bring the bag, like dropping off bags and stuff. Like he was getting real close to giving up some stuff uh, in this interview with John Jock Taylor. Dion likes to talk. He loves to hear himself talk. And uh, a lot of times those people will end up spilling the beans, so to speak. And he nearly did when he, uh, when he said, he, he said something like basically like they, they forget talk about Nick Saban they forget that I know who's been bringing the bag and dropping it off. I know these things. I'm not the one you want to play with when it comes to this stuff. Once it come upon a time, the bag was just a bag. But now there's equality among the big boys, and we don't have those types of bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, look, Dion, we know. We know there's been bags. There's been bags for a long time. There have been a lot of bags. There's been the you know $100 handshakes. There's been the pepperoni pizza with extra Benjamins, uh, you know, all those things that have gone on in the world of uh, of college sports. Look, my you know my father, who was a uh, a very very highly recruited uh, high school athlete, high school football player, was recruited by all you know all the major schools. He was recruited by Texas, and he was recruited by Alabama, and you know all these things. And <laughs> you know they you know they were like, what you know what's your favorite color? You know, they ask you, oh, what's your favorite color or whatever? And, oh, you know, red or whatever. And when he got off the airplane, there was a redhead wearing a red dress in a red car <laughs> there to pick him up. Uh, you know, just little, like, little stuff like that. You know, it's all fun and, you know, and everything. But then it started to get real, um, <laughs> real financial real quick on a lot of those visits. And, you know, it, it, it's been happening for a long time. The... The it's the situation where, you know, the the outlaw 
has been able to outrun the sheriff for a long, long time. And now the outlaw has been given, essentially, a free pass, a get-out-of-jail-free card by the U.S. Supreme Court when they upheld the, the ruling last summer that said the NCAA can't limit what the name, image, and likeness uh, is going to provide these student-athletes because of uh, it would violate the antitrust laws. So now these, you know, these, these you know, institutions are getting involved with boosters to you know, put together these you know, NIL collectives, essentially, these groups. And you know, these are essentially new companies that have opened up now to fund players and to fund recruiting of these players. It's, that's where we're at. And I know that Nick Saban isn't happy about it. And the one thing that I immediately thought yesterday, I didn't get a chance to, to really discuss because there was so much going on and so much entertainment going on with it yesterday. I didn't have a time to, to really talk about it. Uh, if you listen to yesterday's show, I was running out of time just consider, you know, talking about everything that's going on. The one thing that I thought about, and I, you know, I should have said something yesterday, but you know, I'll say something you know, say about it now. Is that oftentimes, look, coaches are smart people. Nick Saban is not an idiot. What he said was stupid. The way he said it was stupid, but he's not an idiot. Nick Saban knew exactly what he was doing when he said those things. The same way that, you know, when I would, when I would hear a Sean Miller press conference and he would say things in the press conference. And people thought he was talking about someone else or a coach or the NCAA or something. And really, he was sending a message to somebody else, other people, other groups, whether it be players or whether it be administrative staff or whether it be boosters or, you know, whatever have you. He was sending a message to other people. And that's what Nick Saban was doing in, when, when, he, when he, you know, said those things two nights ago. He wasn't I – I still don't believe that he was – specifically targeting Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders, even though he did, I don't think that that was his, I don't think that was his end game. His end game was to get the people back in Tuscaloosa to start ponying up because, you know, as I talked about it yesterday morning, Tuscaloosa, Alabama is not Texas. Okay. Hardly anywhere is Texas because especially when it comes to football. Texas is a is just a different animal. Everybody in that state cares about the game of football. They want they have great pride in their state and bless them. Uh, you know, look as as much as it is an annoyance to be in that state at times, listen, dealing with these people, listening to them talk about Texas is this and Texas is that and it's better than everything else and better than that and better than this. They have a great pride. They take great pride in their state and they want the game of football to be the best in that state. And there are a lot of rich people living in Texas. And I mean extremely wealthy people. In fact, there are probably more wealthy people living in one neighborhood in Texas than in the entire state of Alabama. Now, Alabama, very prideful as well. They love their Crimson Tide football. They're often divided between Alabama and Auburn, whereas in Texas it's kind of spread all around. Texas, the Texans feel like, Hey, give the money to TCU. Give the money to Baylor. Give the money to Texas Tech. Give the money to A&M. Give the money to Texas. Give the money to UTSA. Give it to whomever. Make Texas football great, better than everybody else. Like, they, they don't care. They spread the wealth. 
Alabama, it's like, nope, you're either Auburn or you're Alabama, either one. You, you, you know, and the other one is dead to the other one. So, you know, he wasn't I – I still don't believe that he was legitimately trying to out or embarrass or slander Jimbo Fisher, even though he did, and or Deion Sanders, even though he did. I'm pretty sure that the people that he was sending that message to were his boosters, uh, his alumni, and and look, Deion Sanders even said so. You know, he basically said that that Nick Saban wasn't wasn't talking just to call out cheaters. He was calling, he was talking to get money. He wanted, he was trying to get money based on what he was saying. And I think Dion's spot on. I think he's right. I, it's the first thing I thought of. Well, wasn't the first. The first thing I thought of was like, oh my gosh, this is going to blow up. Uh, the second thing I thought of was like, he ain't talking to them. He's talking to the boosters because Nick Saban is feeling the pressure because they don't have the money to compete with Texas A&M, and and apparently they don't have the money to compete with Jacksonville State, whom he said paid. Uh, his kid's name is Travis Hunter. Uh, was the player that he was talking about that Jackson State paid him a million dollars. Dion fired back at that and says, "I don't even make a million dollars." <laughs> so, yeah, we've got a lot more to talk about with this because it, look, it's 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 an ongoing saga, and I don't think that this will be the last time that a coach says something, especially because the SEC didn't find anybody. He didn't. They didn't find Nick Saban. They didn't find Jimbo Fisher for what they said. It, it was. It, it, not too long ago, when Lane Kiffin called out, when when uh, Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee, when he called out, who I can't remember what school he called out. He called out a school publicly, and they fined him for it. Like there, it was, it went against like SEC, you know, uh, uh, you know, standards and bylaws and all this other stuff. Coaches have to hold themselves to a higher standard, so we're going to fine you for you know talking smack about another team. <laughs> These two. We're basically calling each other's mamas fat, and uh, they they going to get nothing. They just slap on the wrist. So uh, I think this may open the uh, floodgates a little bit for other coaches to now start uh, uh, start calling each other's moms fat, and you know their wives ugly, and all this other stuff. So uh, <laughs> it's just the just the beginning, folks. Like I said, this is this is just the tipping point. Uh, and when we return, I'll start talking about my list of whom I think are some of the best coaching rivalries, the best coaching feuds in sports history. There's some really good ones on here, and I think you'll enjoy this. That's coming up next right here on The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Now, if you want to uh, submit your own ideas for some of the great coaching feuds, I'm all ears, or all eyes, I guess. I don't know. Send it to me at my Twitter, at UAZ Voice. You can follow me on Twitter, at UAZ Voice. And uh, we'd love to see some of your recommendations, some of your thoughts for some of the best feuds in coaching history in sports. I've got a few here. It's going to take a while to get through these because I want to tell some stories about some of them, and because uh, I, you know, been lucky to be the ear for a lot of people that I've talked to and been around uh, over the years in covering sports, and been a confidant to a lot of people for some reason I don't know why. Um, I get that all the time. Like I just want to tell you everything. And I'm like, oh, I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. So 
I've got a good. I've got a pretty good list here, and I, we're, we're kind of already up against a break because I went so long in the first segment. So I'll just kind of start things off here. Obviously, Saban and Jimbo—that's going to be one that's an ongoing feud for quite some time. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, it's you know as I mentioned, they you know they were assistants. You know, they, uh, the Jimbo was an assistant of Nick Saban. They go they go all the way back to families growing up across town from one another in West Virginia. They're you know they're the lineage of the the coal miners in West Virginia, their families know each other. They've known each other for a while. Um, Saban is also on the list for other rivalries and feuds with certain people. He had a, a huge uh, rivalry with Urban Meyer. Those two don't like each other at all, although I don't think anyone likes Urban Meyer. Um, obviously, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, when Lane was his assistant uh, there for a while, they had problems, and then Lane went – and started coaching at the uh, you know at a, at a, at a rival at, at Tennessee and kind of took some of the Alabama secrets with him and was vocal about several of them. Nick Saban and Les Miles they had some wars they you know had some uh, some real tense moments at midfield I guess where there were uh, less than warm handshakes being shared between the two. You could tell that there was uh, there was definite some 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 a little bit of bad blood between those two uh, as well. You know, one of the ones that I remember just because there was an incident that happened in a game where these two coaches happened to be coaching, and then as you kind of look, you know, m- m- like more deeply into it, you realize that the feud that was going on between Bobby Knight at Indiana and Gene Cady at Purdue during the '80s was was really deep like you know there's the whole chair throwing incident that happened during a game you know in uh you know in bloomington against in-state rival purdue when bobby knight flung the chair across the across the court and that you know gene katie was the head coach at, at purdue at the time now those two coaches basically it was it was purdue or indiana winning the big 10 championships at those times uh and then Head to head, I think Bobby Knight was like twenty-one and twenty versus Gene Cady in his career, and those two had some uh, some terse words for one another from time to time as well. As uh, that was a pretty good pretty good rivalry, really good feud there in in college basketball. And speaking of college basketball, maybe <laughs> the worst, like the the you know one of the first ones that came to mind when I was thinking about coaching feuds was when John Cheney threatened to kill John Calipari at a press conference. Remember John Calipari, really young John Calipari at UMass, is uh, uh, doing his press conference. Here comes John Chaney, the old coach at Temple, and he's screaming stuff from the back of the room, and Calipari's like, what's your, what's your problem? Like, what's going on here? And as Chaney's, you know, going to try to rush the, 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 uh, the, the podium, he gets held back by staff. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. <laughs> Dude, threatened to kill the poor man. That was uh, that was a pretty memorable one. I have some more great ones here, so I've, I've got a, I've got a pretty good list that we'll start going over here, and some that hit pretty close to home as well. We'll talk about that next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on fourteen ninety AM, one zero four nine FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this Football Friday. Talking about 
best coaching feuds in uh, sports history. This is just a list that I came up with uh, of you know trying to think of some of the moments or you know things that I could remember where coaches were legitimately heated with one another. And I mean, it, it, it was well, one of these is not public, <laughs> which we'll get into in a moment. Um, but some of most of these have been, are, were very public and. Uh, just had to go and like kind of look back and just kind of confirm and just kind of like dig in a little bit deeper, like why or what happened here. Now the the reason for John Har- or Jim Harbaugh, not John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh and his beef, or you know whatever Pete Carroll his beef with Jim Harbaugh goes all the way back to their time at Stanford and USC respectively. USC was what were they it was a forty forty one and a half point favorite in their game against Stanford. A young Jim Harbaugh had just been hired from San Diego to try to turn that program around. They go into the Coliseum, and they beat USC, who was, I think, number three in the country or something like that at the time. They beat him. It was a 24-23 or 24-21, something like that. It was a really close game. Huge upset. One of the biggest upsets in sports history based on betting lines and things like that. And then a year later, well, maybe it was two years later, I don't remember exactly, Stanford was really, really good. You know, Jim Harbaugh had turned them into a, a juggernaut almost overnight. Andrew Luck uh, is on the field, and they, you know, they are just loaded with talent. And they're playing. Uh, this game was being played in, uh, in in the Bay Area, and the Cardinal were just running roughshod all over USC. I mean, they were just stomping a mud hole in the Trojans, <clears throat> and it was forty-eight. I think it was like forty-eight twenty-one, and Harbaugh went for two to try to get fifty. He didn't get it, but he went for two to try to get 50. They ended up scoring 55 on the Trojans. They got a pick six uh, or a fumble recovery, something like that, later in the game at the end there to put the uh, little exclamation point on it. But then after the game, the famous, hey, what's your deal, uh, you know, between Pete Carroll and Jim Harbaugh. Pete Carroll approaches Jim Harbaugh at midfield. Jim Harbaugh was always, you know, we we remember Jimmy because, he, you know, of, of the – the weird handshakes that he's engaged in over the years, <laughs> Jim Zorn, right, from Detroit. Uh, but Pete Carroll approaches Harbaugh and says, hey, what's your deal? And the cameras and the microphones are right there. And Harbaugh says, well, what's your deal? And then all of a sudden they're like, cut the audio. This is going to get, you know, it's going to get weird. And uh, too many people kind of got around him and stuff. But, yeah, those two definitely, definitely had a feud. And then – they go to the NFL, they wind up in the same division, and Jim Harbaugh gets his first ever NFL win against Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And then, of course, everything that happened in the NFL with Jim Harbaugh and aforementioned Jim Zorn with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, with the, the, the Detroit Lions and the slapping of the back on the handshake and all this other stuff and him chasing him down the tunnel and everything. And, yeah, Jimmy's rubbed some people the wrong way, that's for sure. I remember – you know, it's funny, that same day when Harbaugh kind of, I don't know, had the weird back slap you know, in Detroit when they got their, their win in Detroit. And John Harbaugh, the Ravens, was being asked about it, and he didn't see it. He's like, somebody went after Jimmy today? Oh, man, I feel sorry for them. Because <laughs> John Harbaugh knows what it's like to get a noogie from Jim Harbaugh. 
Um, so there were some other ones. Obviously, there's some great ones. I'm just kind of going on the list here, taking a look at the, the ones that I've written down. I already went with John Chaney and John Calipari, and I'll kill you. You know, Woody and Bo, that was a great feud and rivalry between the two during their time at, at Ohio State and at Michigan. I, I, I don't know you know, how personal or how vitriol, uh, vitriolic it got during that time. I think, to me, I mean, I was growing up at the time. I don't, I'm not super familiar with it, uh, certainly not growing up in the area. It seemed to me more like a, it was just, a, you know, the schools, a great rivalry between Michigan and Ohio State, and they were the figureheads, and they'd been there for a long time. They both had, you know, differing, you know, philosophies on how to treat their, their players, that's for sure. Um but I don't think it was any, like there was any personal beef between them. Although there may have been, I'm I'm not exactly sure. But you can imagine that the rivalry was was great between those two. You know, somebody who's a friend of our current head coach at Arizona uh, football, a, a close friend of his, that gave him his first gave him his first break down at Florida, was a coach that basically pissed everybody off. I mean, Steve Spurrier had a rivalry and a feud against everyone. Steve Spurrier would talk so much smack about opposing coaches and opposing schools. Like, it was nonstop. It was everybody. But he really got under the skin of Phil Fulmer, the former head coach at uh, Tennessee. (laughs) What did he say? We'd always say about Tennessee, you can't spell citrus without UT. (laughs) And Fulmer, you know, Phil Fulmer's a quiet guy, uh, you know, or at least seems that way. And you could just tell, like, he was just grinding his teeth every time he got around Spurrier. Because Spurrier, you know, as, as much as he ran his mouth in his in his career, he backed it up. His teams were dynamite. His teams were always good, always unpredictable, and uh, always had good quarterback play. So it was, uh, you know, it was tough for uh, for Phillip to, uh, to, to swallow that pill. But, man, Spurrier used to just piss everybody off. I mean, it was, when he was at Florida, when he was at South Carolina, it didn't matter. Like, he was always under people's skin. <laughs> Part of his psychological, you know, warfare that he engaged in. And that's, look, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I implore that kind of stuff. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. There's a certain disconnect that occurs between two people once someone rats you out, right? Like, if you've ever been, you know, if you ever had a friend or whatever that ratted you out about something, it's like something that you had in confidence with them, and then they just you know, they go full rat on you, and you're like, you're dead to me, man. That's what happened when Eric Mangini basically spilled the beans to the NFL about the Spygate uh, situation with Bill Belichick. Mangini, who had been with the Patriots, had been a, a trusted offensive assistant there with Bill Belichick for several years then goes to division rival the New York Jets, and, like, first day on the job is like, hey, by the way, they're cheating over there. <laughs> and remember, you know, those two had to play each other twice a year, and those midfield handshakes were anything but friendly. Now, those were, like, it was basically just Belichick going through the motions, walking to midfield, and like, yeah, I'm here, and now I'm leaving. And I look, I don't blame him. You know, Eric Mangini will always be, you know, kind of to me a rat. And I, I don't I don't like that. I got I don't care what it is. You don't rat people out. You don't do that. It's just it's just something you don't do. And with the whole spygate thing, yeah, it was cheating. But you know what? Man, 
to use to use your intimate knowledge that way so publicly and so quickly after you left to go to your rival, uh, I think it just speaks a lot about your character, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't like rats. I don't trust rats. You can't trust rats, obviously. And uh, I think Bill Belichick was right for basically writing him out of his life. You don't need that. Uh, you don't need that kind of business. Ozzie Guillen and Buck Showalter. Let's get into a baseball man. Now, Ozzie Guillen, very outspoken, very loud, very boisterous. You know, we, we've seen him on TV. Obviously, uh, we know that his history as a manager in the in the big, especially you know, with the White Sox and such. He had a lot of a lot of success. He's a very good manager. Uh, he got a lot out of his players. But he didn't like, like, if Ozzie Guillen got it in his mind that he didn't like you, like, he was going to just keep attacking you. And for some reason, Buck Showalter drew the ire of Ozzie Guillen. Buck Showalter is Mr., you know, hands in pockets, you know, head down, focus on everything, just doesn't say anything to anybody. Like, that's Buck Showalter. He's very conservative. And, you know, in the way he goes about his business and managing his baseball teams and you know, he's, he's, he's just Buck Showalter. Ozzie Guillen, because those two were, you know, were, were rivals in the American League for quite some time when the Rangers, because the Rangers were really good when Showalter was there, and obviously the White Sox were great with, uh, with Ozzie. I remember Ozzie basically saying, and he said this publicly about Buck Showalter, he said, no, I don't like him, and he doesn't like me either. He's, he's jealous of me because I was a better player than he was. I've got more money than he does, and I'm better looking than he is. <laughs> and he basically said that, you know, Buck Showalter, what did he say? He, he said he, he couldn't hold my jock strap. I think he said that. I think he said Buck Showalter couldn't hold my jock strap at one point. Said that, he, uh, that Buck Showalter was a guy who never even got a single hit in AAA baseball, never made the majors. <laughs> Just, I mean, ripping the guy. And Buck Showalter, again, quiet. Hands in pockets, focused, you know, kind of guy. Never said a word. But, man, <laughs> look, if, if, you're, if you're a human being and somebody says that kind of stuff about you, you're going to be pissed off and you're not going to like that person very much. So I am 100% sure that Buck did not like that very much. Now, before we move into stuff that's a little more personal, a little, a little closer to home, there was an incident, an incident in in the uh, in the in the NHL. I don't know. This was you know 15 years ago, I think. John Tortorella, who was the head coach of the of the Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks at the time, and Bob Hartley, who was the head coach of the Calgary Flames. Now, in this game, the the opposing coach Bob Hartley had submitted his starting lineup for the game, and when Tortorella made notice of what the starting lineup was, basically Bob Hartley sent out all of his goons, his fourth line, basically, to start the game, basically saying, we are here to start a brawl. So Tortorella then returned with his fourth line, all of his goons, to to start the game. And I'm not kidding. Literally, they were lining up. As they lined up, they started moving. All the players started moving around, trying to match up with whoever they wanted to fight with. And then the puck dropped. They didn't even look at the puck. They dropped gloves and started throwing hands. All of them. Everybody. It was, a, it was an entire line brawl at the game between the Canucks and the Flames. Now, John Tortorella, who is a really fiery individual, we've probably seen him on TV many times screaming about stuff, is 
screaming across the glass at Hartley and this and then throwing F-bombs and this and that, and I'm going to get you and I'm going to mess you up and all this other stuff. Well, he got him. Like, he found him in the tunnel during the first intermission of the game, squared up and was going to throw a punch at him before the security guards basically got involved, got in the middle and, and separated him. But he was going to tear Bob Hartley to pieces. He was livid at what happened. But it's just great. Like, you see all these goons go out there for the opening face-off. You're like, what is – no. Oh, no. And then, boom, they just all dropped and started fighting one another. I mean, everybody – there's not a skilled player out there. They're all just fighters. It was great. That was, that was one of the best – like, one of the best coaching rivalry moments ever was Hartley versus Tortorella. That one still sticks out of my memory. I love that. That that one was that one is funny to me because of the the predetermination to, to send out your goon line to start the game. I love it. All right, we're gonna take a timeout. We're gonna continue with more coaching feuds. This time things that get a little closer to home with some of maybe some of Arizona's coaches and one that is not public that I have been made very privy to that is an interesting one as well. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Jeff Dean Show here, finishing up hour number one. Now, you know, very familiar with Sean Miller, obviously, and he was did a great job for Arizona, and he's off to Xavier now, back to you know where it kind of began for him. But he wasn't without his own feuds that he developed here over time in the Pac-12. Most notably, most notably, Tad Boyle and Steve Alford. And it's interesting because you know the Tad Boyle one, like that. Uh, Look, I, I, I have a feud with Tad Boyle, so, you know, it's, it's you know, it, nothing new here. Uh, Tad was very eager to speak out as soon as there was any kind of rough waters at Arizona. Tad Boyle was very eager to speak out quickly with the media and very, you know, publicly about his disdain for the way that Sean Miller goes about his business. And then immediately four other coaches in the conference came to Sean's defense and was like, Tad doesn't know what he's talking about, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. One of them coming from Andy Enfield. I didn't expect that one. But uh, Andy had Sean's back. I, that, that, was a, that was unique. I was not expecting that one. The other ones I did, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The feud with Steve Alford was basically because, you know, Sean was so committed to being better than UCLA on a day-to-day basis here in the Pac-12. And then Alford gets there, and it's just like, Oh, another talented player, you know, former player, because Sean, a, a very, very competitive, fiery individual, would often, I think, take exception to other point guards or other, you know, other really good players in the, uh, you know, in the coaching ranks. And Steve Alford, obviously a very, very good player in his time at Indiana. And he and Sean certainly had their dust-ups with timeouts being called and all kinds of other things. That was a fun feud that we will probably not see again, unfortunately. That one was fun to watch. And then another one that is not public that I'll just kind of give you out here, but it's not public, but 
I can tell you there is a very real and very palpable feud between Bill Self at Kansas and Scott Drew at Baylor. Those two have had physical run-ins with one another that I have been made very aware of by a very credible source. (laughs) And those two do not like each other one bit. All right, so there's just some ideas. If you want to share something with me, at UAZ Voice on Twitter, I'd love to see some of your ideas. And we'll do hour number two coming up here on this quick little short two-minute timeout, followed by everything else coming up here next on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. K285DL1049FM Tucson. And KMXC HD4 Tucson.